consecutive world title for Max Verstappen in the Qatar Sprint Weekend with a weekend with lots of things to talk about. You're listening to the Forecast F1 podcast, and as usual, I'm joined by Samantha Horva. Sam, how's things? Things are good. Things are really good. Uh, what a weekend. I mean, I've said that several times, but about several races we've seen, but this one, uh, a grueling race by the end of it physically, wasn't it? It was indeed. It was indeed. And also with us uh, for this weekend's review is the actual winner of the Austrian Sprint Weekend Grand Prix at uh, at Forecast F1 and current P12 in the overall standings, Jesse Coro. Welcome, Jesse. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's it's kind of nice. Uh, I, I do watch a lot of Formula One, but not too many people like to talk about it locally. So it's kind of cool to have me on. Thank you so much. Good to have you here. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, Sam, uh, I think uh, actually this time there's going to be uh, some interesting notes on um, you always talk a little bit about the track and introduce it, but we actually had some uh, track changes throughout the weekend. So uh, why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about that? All right, sure. So let's let's first talk about the track itself. Uh, there's one DRS zone. And what the the main thing that took place when it came to the track in alterations this weekend, leading up to the weekend, we should say, is resurfacing. So there was resurfacing done to the track. And the the area itself, the environment itself, we should mention, the temperature at this time of year is extremely hot. Uh, windy conditions, dusty conditions. So they all play a, pa- a part when it comes to the surface of the track. And we saw that uh, first and foremost when it came to grip. Um, and then we also saw high tire degradation and the tire situation with Pirelli, which then expanded and created more alterations to the track, right? So we can talk about that now, unless you want to get into it, depending on when that change took place during the weekend. Yeah, no, I think, uh, well, what happened was that uh, Pirelli on Friday night investigated, or they always do a check on, on all the tires that were used during free practice and quality. And I guess based on the, the longer stints during the, the free practice session, I guess, and they saw that uh, the tires were breaking uh, slightly and they were concerned uh, around the turn 12, turn 13 of the track. So, um, so they made changes going into the Saturday uh, with basically painting... <laughs> Uh, a new uh, a new line on the track and um, and yeah uh, that way um, it should be safer but um, uh, in the end we still saw a um, but that's already going into Sunday we saw a maximum stint uh, for the tire so um, yeah that's that's not something we see very regularly no and it was interesting because I mean they they noticed part of the reason like you had mentioned the um, the tires were degrading quicker. And a lot of that had to do with the track and the fact that there was pyra- the pyramid curbs themselves. The, um, the tires are, are used extensively over those pyramid curbs as a result of that track layout. So aggravating it caused the uh, separation of the sidewall, specifically with the tire. And so, yeah, like you had mentioned, they, they added, I, I believe it was about 80 centimeters uh, around turns 12 and 13. Now, before we, I guess you were going to mention the Sunday, like what, what were your thoughts? Do you, do anyone think that they noticed a difference or did they think that a difference was really going to be made with that 80 centimeters? Well, I guess the idea was that uh, without that additional, uh, the, the outer tires are, you know, they're going over the curb, right? And where the, the curb um, uh, touches the asphalt on the, on the outside of the curb. And 
I suppose that these 80 centimeters helped of, of, of yeah, putting less stress on the tire. But um, yeah, it's, it's always going to be hard to really compare. I mean, we don't, we, we, they changed the track, so we, we, we don't know what would have happened if they wouldn't have changed it. So I guess it's always yep. going to be a tough uh, comparison. But uh, Jesse, what do you think about that? So I think that uh, changing the track kind of has uh, affected their game plan. If you saw how many five-second penalties there were for track limits, these guys weren't necessarily adjusted to that change, you know, and uh, that maximum of 18 laps kind of changed everybody's strategy. You know, the uh, Qatar is a pretty rough environment. You can tell just by some of the standards, you know, like it's only 120,000 fans versus like 300 or 400 in other places. So, you know, and when you see a driver get out or something like that, um, you see them and it's very like rough and the areas they go through, you know, the, uh, with the stewards and it's just like sand dunes and like construction sites. It doesn't look like any other track that we're used to. So I think that the environment definitely uh, shifted everything. And, you know, especially if you saw like the tire lineups, you know, usually it's like the C4s or C5s and stuff. They're like at C3s for the softest compound. So I really think that Qatar is probably one of the roughest races that they face. And that's why we saw so many like changes and variations to the standard that we normally see. Plus, we've only driven here once before, and um, and yeah, uh, it's 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 basically a MotoGP track. So in that sense, it is quite different to most of the other tracks that we see uh, that we've seen this season. But um, but yeah, it, it, let's let's talk about things a little bit in order. So we started on on the Friday um, with the qualifying for the race on on Sunday, and um, um, yeah, that was before the changes of the track. But already on that day, we saw. Uh, uh, a couple of drivers having some issues with uh, track limits. Uh, there were quite uh, quite a few going over those, and um, um, that resulted in a couple of um, interesting, um, yeah, interesting people not making it to to Q3. But uh, Sam, what were your highlights for the for the qualifying of the race? Well, I think you start off with the fact that they only have one hour to really set up the car. And so you have a situation where you have a sprint weekend. And, and like you had mentioned, Jesse, the fact that uh, Qatar, it, it is um, like the environment itself is, is, uh, is, is difficult. And then to top it all off, this is the only second time that they have been able to race on, like, on this track. So you have that factor and then they go into qualifying. So I think that it was uh, interesting to watch how things played out, but it looked like for the most part, drivers were trying to get their handle on things because they were just losing a lot of them were losing the rear end a lot of them were going into track limits and that also plays a huge part in the end result of qualifying which in some cases can make it quite exciting and we saw some drivers that were putting on flying laps and then all of a sudden track limits and where they were positioned obviously they fell down the grid so yeah, I think the most uh, noteworthy uh, mentions of the, well, I think at Q1, we didn't see too many shocking results. Although then again, um, when we've seen it the last couple of weeks, that Stroll's not having a really great time in, in qualifying sessions. And um, time and time again, we see what a difference he has. I think it was more than a second between him and Alonso in, in Q1. And he didn't make it into Q2. And that led to a couple of, uh, well, let's say a frustrating reaction from him uh, uh, we saw back in the garage it was it, we we talked we touched on this last weekend and the mental state of the question marks in terms of lance's mental state and i think that we're just seeing a continuation of the the frustration continue to be amplified and a deterioration um of that 
Jesse, what are your thoughts when it comes to that situation? So, I, I don't know. I'm, as somebody that's, that's driven cars similar to that, um, I would tell you that money doesn't buy talent sometimes. I hate to say it like that. And although Lance Stroll is a very talented driver, uh, some of the other guys kind of just can really extract performance you know from that car and obviously you see the difference between alonzo and him it's like sometimes miles difference and it's uh there, there's like a limitation there that just kind of uh obvious that, that at least i see so i don't know i i really like uh lance stroll he seems like a really good guy but i, I don't know if you know uh i don't know it's just my personal opinion but like uh paid drivers are are like good for this sport, you know, because you got guys that really, really try hard to try to break through and, and they're missing out on that spot simply because of that, you know, not to take away Lance Stroll's uh, accomplishments because I know he's worked his way up, but it's definitely he's had a he, he has an advantage is what I'm trying to say. And do you so just to just to elaborate on that, um, do you yeah. feel that do you feel that his so so his frustration is is something that's more with the performance of the car or could it be his own personal frustrations as to where he's at or maybe a combination of both it's it's a little bit of both right like so alonzo at the very beginning of the season was really successful and like you guys you saw this resurgence of austin martin where everybody's like oh my god austin martin's gonna be fighting for the championship with red bull and everybody's like really excited and then they kind of hit like this plateau and now everybody's kind of like superseding it and the fact that they're not keeping up with the joneses per se it's it's exposing his weakness you know what i'm saying like when you're like like most drivers if you're in a really really fast car you know it kind of hides your blemishes per se and i think that uh strolls in particular is he's kind of like a mid-level driver and now that he's in a mid-level car he's going to be floating to that bottom end which is where we've been seeing him yeah i think the difference is more obvious than it was last season uh with with, with mm -hmm. him and vettel i think this season it's been uh I don't know. Alonso is also, I guess, one of the toughest opponents to have as a teammate. Um, I was just thinking that in my head that maybe Vettel was more, uh, more of a better uh, teammate to him and kind of coaching him through. And then I think Alonso's kind of like, uh, uh, I'm the show here. And maybe that's uh, been a big difference too. Like, you know, uh, your time with your teammate and, and learning from each other that might have dropped off as well. Yeah, and I guess he started the season actually quite well, you know, given his injury, uh, the wrist injury, and and him performing decently and and scoring. I think it was it was a P six in in Bahrain, or well, he scored a decent amount of points. And you know, it's it's been getting a little bit. It's getting worse and worse. So that's also not really motivating, you know. If you if you start the season far behind your teammate, but then you get closer every weekend, but that it's the exact opposite. So yeah, I guess I understand the, the frustration uh, creeping in, but then on the other hand, uh, he should perhaps try to be a little bit more calm uh, <laughs> um, because, you know, it is what it is. And uh, yeah, I guess he knows himself as well what his level of performance is. I know all these guys think they're probably one of the best drivers on the grid, but a little bit of self-reflection um, <laughs> wouldn't be too bad in this case, I think. So Sam, are you Canadian by chance? I, like I know you live am in, in Montreal. Are you full? full? Yes. Uh, yes, I I am Canadian, uh, born and raised in Canada, and uh, and Lance, uh, I I live where uh, I I recently moved to Montreal not too long ago, mm -hmm. but this is Lance's hometown. Um, but I I would say here in Canada, uh, I where I am, I I don't have a lot of uh, people in this area or even where I was previously that mm -hmm. were large into Formula One. Um, so I, I, I don't know how many people, 
actually know and and I and I hate to say it because I'm sure that we also have people that are listening right now and saying I'm a fan but yeah. uh it it is it is more of a quiet sport in Canada it definitely is or more of a niche interest I would say so when it yeah, comes I would, to I would just ask cuz I don't want to knock on the hometown hero you know what I mean but uh uh definitely uh you could you could tell you know like like whenever you go to a race you kind of see you know where popularity lies and uh, I just feel like sometimes you'll you'll see guys like that 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 are our favorites and and they really bring it out and and stroll kind of his situation with his father and stuff like that. I think a lot of people just kind of like uh, they they think otherwise, you know. And, and I don't want to knock the guy because I mean the guy's uh, you know top twenty driver in the world right now. Uh, so, but uh, I just feel like all the the I want to say the existential circumstances uh, surrounding him is is what makes it even tougher for him because. Uh, say he was successful, say he was winning races, they'd be like, oh, because daddy's money put him in the best car or something like that. And, uh, you know, and to have a wrist injury like that, I'm actually a nurse in the operating room. So I, I helped out in surgeries and stuff like that all the time. And it's tough to come back from a wrist fracture, uh, your metacarpal fractures and stuff like that, especially, the, you know, the amount of force that you guys use with your hands and stuff like that. Um, but I just definitely feel like he he's kind of, he's at a disadvantage and it and it just becomes more glaringly obvious uh, as the struggles continue and all the other teams kind of advance and everybody like, you know, has the eye on him. You know what I mean? Just, just my opinion. Yeah. I, I think that also uh, we can never uh, know everything that goes on behind closed doors. And I would imagine that always carrying that responsibility or that assumption from everyone that you got to where you were because of your father or because of other things. And, and I would be a very difficult burden to, uh, to be able to shoulder and mentally i can i can only imagine how much that strains on you i i can see from both sides of the of both sides of the spectrum really when it comes to maybe being in a position where it's easier to go up the ranks or being in a position where people are always doubting you and never really seeing what your capabilities are because of the uh because of your stature and how you've gotten into the sport so it, 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 I would say that, I mean, at this point, the only thing we can see for certain is that cl clearly there is a mental deterioration or strain that is translating out onto the track and it's translating even off of the track because of the incidents that he had over the weekend and how he's expressing himself and whether, whether that's a, a result of his inefficiency uh, in comparison to his teammate, which would make it very logical. Uh, or are those inefficiencies also being played a part, not necessarily because he doesn't have the talent, but because he doubts the talent that he has because of the fact that uh, he struggles with that? Um, who knows, right? Uh, these are all questions at the end of the day that I think eventually we'll get an answer upon. And I think that answer is really going to be defined going into 2024, or maybe the end of 2024. It, to me, it appears like his motivation isn't where it should be. And like you said, Jesse, I mean, could it be a matter of just not having that hunger like other drivers who have really had to uh, fight to get into where they were a little bit differently than Lance, possibly. Um, but again, I, I think that it will be interesting to see how these last few races pan out. And I think it's going to be even more interesting when you go into 2024 with the expectation that Aston Martin is is hoping for, or at least they claim that they're hoping for at this point, which is with him and Alonso still holding a seat. So 
We'll see. Time will tell. And taking a little segue back to our previous conversation in our last episode in the Japan Grand Prix, um, we talked about similarities between uh, teammates Stroll and Alonso uh, compared to the Red Bull situation. And that brings us a little bit to Q2 of the qualification where uh, Perez um, and, you know, uh, you just mentioned motivation um, and hunger and... Um, how did you how did you look at uh, well not only Paris but also signs who got um, who didn't make it into Q3 um, that was also not really uh, what we expected from those drivers or or was it you know for for me I, I think that maybe the 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 problem with the fuel that that signs had that basically put him out of the race on Sunday is maybe that's something that might have played a little bit of a factor that the car was starting to kind of deteriorate what do you guys think because I know that he, uh, the the sprint was good, but like, are we seeing the car kind of de- uh, degrading a little bit under them while they're trying to to push? Uh, it, it's like a question because you know, Science has been performing extremely well the last couple of races, and for him to kind of like not perform well in the, the qualifying session and pre practice, I, I I was just like, hmm, where do we stand? Is it the car? Is it him? Is it this track not suited for him? There's like a bunch of questions. I feel like when you see someone succeed really good in the previous race and then kind of like fall into the middle of the pack, like really what's the factor there? It's just like, like questions around it. And I don't know. um, I didn't watch too much of like the post race uh, stuff or post practice talk, but I'm wondering if, if that was a a question was posed to them. Uh, I don't know. Did you guys hear anything on, on, on the socials or any uh, interviews that would lead you to believe that maybe the car itself wasn't performing as best? I think that we could see that Ferrari uh, just didn't have a lot of pace in general, both him and Leclerc uh, in Qatar here. It it seemed to be pay more of a strength towards, like outside of Verstappen, uh, pay more of a strength towards Mercedes and McLaren. Uh, however, I, I, it seemed as though, I mean, Sainz clearly had the issues and was able to uh, compete during the race on Sunday. So I would imagine that that definitely played a part over the weekend, uh, that maybe just the setup and the, they were, they were having some technical issues with the car itself. It's interesting because beforehand I I wasn't expecting Mercedes to be that competitive, uh, like they were already on the Friday with, uh, with them taking the, the P2 and P3, uh, uh, grid slots for the Sunday, uh, which of course was caused by uh what happened with the mclarens which was uh uh well i don't know what you want to call it but it was a very um We're awkward situation the... <laughs> no with um with both being uh called off by track limits uh yeah in that q3 session yeah that was that was uh painful especially for piastri when he's being interviewed and then realizes that he drops to sixth <laughs> But I think I... That it'll be a meme eventually of his face you know you, you'll see it come across on all the socials <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. No, I already. Although see I think his, his reaction was quite professional in the end. Uh, mm-hmm. He was disappointed, obviously, but uh, and both him and Norris, because uh, because Norris, I guess Norris knew it all the way. I think both probably knew. I mean, I wonder to what extent you're aware as a driver. I mean, it's very small margins, right? It's very tight. But then again, I guess both of them must have known um, they they went off uh, before finishing the lap, right? Or do you think? Piastri had in his mind that he was actually genuinely there on the on the first row. Well, I mean, even if even if he felt like he did exceed track limits, the fact that he that he came out of the car and it wasn't mentioned as of yet, 
I would have I would have been hoping that they were maybe forgetting or they just did not see where I ended up truly. <laughs> so maybe that's where he was at that point. But I but I agree with you. I think he handled it professionally. And uh for Norris going into this weekend, I mean, he was in looking at looking at the numbers, he was the closest to uh speed comparison when it came to trying to give Matt a run for his money on pole. So really uh, unfortunate for him to reach track limits, I think, on both of his flying laps, his last flying laps that he had. What do you guys think about uh, Lando in general? Like, I, uh, I think that as McLaren has made this, this progress into the season and really, you know, fighting uh, better, uh, Lando, for me, I think he, he's putting a lot of pressure on himself, you know, and, and like, it's kind of having him be like that little, little touch behind. And while Oscar's just racing to get the best out of, out of it, you know, because he's kind of, you know, the rook and he's kind of just getting in there. And he's just racing to race. He doesn't, there's no pressure on him. He's like, he's the new guy. And Lando's been, he's putting pressure on himself and it's affecting his performance just enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It's just my personal opinion from, from what I see. He conceded, I think, when you were asking about it, and he said, he goes, oh, maybe I just lack the talent. And I, th I think to that, that he might be a little cerebral uh, with everything going on, and it's keeping him from reaching that, that next tier. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, I, I kind of try to imagine what if he would have already taken that first victory for, for himself and for McLaren. I guess that would drop a lot of pressure from his shoulders. And I think because he mm -hmm. hasn't, um that that adds to the pressure but then again you know if you look at the weekend like we had in japan i think he was still in race pace he was definitely uh quicker than than piastri was so i think that was confirmation for him that he's that he's definitely up there at the level that he needs to have but uh, mm -hmm. but there's definitely pressure there i i agree and then i mean piastri is just doing a doing an extremely good job um so it's going to be uh, going into 24 it's going to be very interesting to see when Piastri has his first rookie season in his bag and 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 really starts to prepare uh, for races uh, with with knowing the tracks a little bit better, it's going to be interesting to see how that um, a teammate uh, relationship is going to be between the two of them. But um, but Sam, how do you how do you see that? Well, I think we we know Lando has been a part of McLaren for a considerable period of time and through the ups and the downs and the the car hasn't been at top-notch potential for a few years uh we, if we were to look back at last year and with ricardo uh the the car itself still had issues but he was able to try to maximize what he could out of the car it got into a position where even ricardo mentally because he was uh remaining consistent consistently ahead of of daniel with the exception of monza two years back but um that's something that I would imagine played a part in Ricardo's own personal mental mental um, state as the season continued to wear on. Uh, so I, I think that then you get into this year and you get into the struggles that they had initially in the beginning of the season and the fact that the car just, there was a lot of excitement surrounding McLaren. However, it came out that the car just wasn't at the performance, not even close to the competition. And that clearly would have had to have been something that would have been extremely disappointing as a driver, because although you have all the talent in the world and the hope and, and the years are, are climbing in terms of your commitment to this team, 
you're not seeing a lot of potential in the situation. Now that things have changed and they've had this dramatic change over the last several races, I think that he still has maximized the potential out of the car. He's managed to go from finishing in the, you know, the, the bottom, basically, at the beginning of the season to landing podiums almost consistently ever since they've, they've come into with that second upgrade package. So I think that he has uh, a, a, obviously a bright future ahead of him. I think that if McLaren stays on top and they uh, that he has the potential, he obviously will hopefully secure his first win. But it's also really unfortunate, I would imagine, for him to be committed to a team and to see the rise and the success and be in situations where he hasn't been able to secure the first win. So in Monza, for example, and even over this weekend, it's a challenging weekend for him because he did make his own personal errors in some situations that cost him, where he, in my opinion, was the faster driver in comparison to Piastri for most of the weekend. But with human error came a cost to that and uh and even during the ra and during the race which we'll talk about later but just since we're on the subject of norris i think that in the race overall he had a fantastic race i mean he started in p10 he managed to finish on the podium and the lap times that he was putting on were considerable and and we're also talking about an extremely physically grueling race what appeared to be probably the most physically grueling race of the season. So I think that it's like you said, Anton, we've, we've discussed it several times when it comes to the dynamic between the two drivers, because Piastri also is a driver with an incredibly bright future ahead of him, clearly. Um, but I, I think that the future of Norris and McLaren, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens but i think that he also has made significant contributions to the team as well i agree with that big time like which her assessment of of lando really you know in the next couple of years he might be frustrated with with his situation and, and try to make a jump or something like that uh but lando's like a fan favorite too and and that bodes well for him to have an opportunity at a great seat regardless if he stays or, or, or goes to something else. But I, I definitely agree with your assessment. Lando's a top-notch talent, and it's it's just like a little over the edge, one more step over the edge, and he would definitely be winning races and competing for a championship, for sure. But he did not manage to set a time in Q3, so he started on <laughs> P10 for, for the race. <laughs> and, and, and I would debate, because you mentioned there, Sam, that you were thinking he might have had the better week. But, I mean, in all four sessions, Piastri was ahead of him in the end. So, yeah, you know, no, even if it's due to personal ahead. mistakes, those are mistakes, too. And, yeah. I mean, that those count. So, um, yeah. Um, you're I right. Know. I think it was actually a very. Uh, I think in the Japan weekend, it was pretty clear that that, that Norris was still the better driver. But uh, well, I, I I don't know. Things might get, um, and it might have to do a lot with the pressure actually that Jesse was talking about. So he might still be the better driver, but uh, but it's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for him with a teammate like that, and um, and I think it's one of the few teams where where the team the teammates are really really competitive. Um, um, Looking at uh, the other um, finishes in, in Q3 for the race quality, uh, we saw that Bottas uh, took a P9, which was um, was surprising for me. 
And uh, both Alpines making it to Q3 and uh, getting a P7 and a P8 for the start of the race, uh, which was also quite uh, quite good for them. Yeah, that that was for me um, most of the highlights of the is that it of the race quality. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I think so. I th I think those are the main points. Really, the the main points of conversation that I would take out of it is is the McLaren situation, like we touched on. So, yeah, why don't we get into the shootout? Right. Right. So, um, yeah, sort of standalone Saturday. Uh, what, uh, what, what did you think about the shootout? We, we should mention the fact that, uh, that before the shootout even started, we had the um, notification from Pirelli about the tire concerns. And so they began 20 minutes late because they gave them the opportunity to, uh, to have, I, I think it was, was it 10 minutes? Yeah. The familiarization. Of, of going around uh, the track. Uh, yeah. Practice. Yeah, exactly. So that was a little bit different different to start. And then obviously now they were starting uh, with the adjustment of the 80 centimeters around turn 12 and 13. So a few things that changed going into the shootout. So I'm actually pulling up the, the results for shootout for me just to have a, another reference. But like I like that, that we're seeing these changes and a position where you're not really able to, to really forecast. That's why I find it fun when I go to pick for the forecast, I, I kind of just like close my eyes and pick somebody because it, it almost seems like it's wide open in these situations. You know, um, it's nice to see uh, other people kind of get a chance um, because for the most part of the season, we, you know, we watched Max just dominate all the way through and then there's the usual suspects. So it was uh, cool to see the, the, the shootout in a tough environment. I think that that's really why, why we're seeing these varied results. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Anton, you want to you wanna start? Yeah, I think it's, well, I don't know. It, and we've been talking about this for, for a long while now, about having a, having a sprint weekend. But uh, um, because, you know, in a lot of cases, you see that um, the, the sprint itself is, is sort of like a, a, a little bit of a pre-show to, to see how, um, yeah, how the tires hold out. And, and, and usually, or in a lot of cases, we've seen that the, the race on the Sunday is sort of like a, a longer copy of, of the sprint. But actually this weekend was quite, uh, you know, there was quite a lot of different things happening and, and, and the sprint was quite different from the race. Of course, I guess it also has a little bit to do with, uh, with the modifications to the rules that we saw on the Sunday. But, uh, but it was a very exciting Saturday. I liked it. I, I liked watching it. Um, and uh, I think um, the mo the main upset in the the, the shootout was uh, Hamilton not uh, not making Q three. Yeah, no worries. So yeah, I just pulled it up to the results just for for my for my own account because uh, there was so much happening over the weekend. You know, I, I really feel that, Sam. Do you know exactly when they made those those considerations or changes to the track? Because we know that Max missed out on pole because of the the track limits, but. I'm wondering, you know, did everybody kind of fall into that category where they, they weren't really sure what's happening and, and stuff like that? Or, or uh... No, I don't, I, I, I don't know how much time was given to them with the notification of the adjustments on the track. I do mm -hmm. know, though, that when it came down to the race and the adjustments where there was uh, a mandatory three-stop race and there was a maximum mm -hmm. of the tire length of 18 laps, they were only given four hours before the race uh notification that that was now going to be implemented which i mean in terms of strategy and also with the tires that's that not enough time because like, they run sims yeah. like for hours and hours exactly. you know, to try to figure out what works best so i i think yeah. that was kind of cool for the fans to, and that's i think why we saw such an exciting race yeah uh um 
Absolutely. The qu- the question I see now going forward is uh, when you guys look at the teammates, right? There are certain teammates that are extremely close in driving style and abilities. And we're seeing them kind of converge, right? You're seeing um, Oscar and Lando really, really close to each other. You're seeing George Russell and Lewis now kind of almost, you know, obviously colliding, but, but also, you know, within two tenths of, of each other, you know, where do you see uh, like going forward with like Leclerc and signs and, and these guys stretching themselves out? Cause I, I see the, the, the packs are, are tightly knit and each track just plays to the strengths of the car and the drivers kind of get some of the results within four tenths. You know, uh, a race like this is, was very similar. The only outlier I see is, is Max, obviously, because one, he seems to extract just about everything out of the car. But uh, where are we seeing the differences? You know, where are we seeing the come-ups, I would say, like the people that were in the middle of the field now all of a sudden coming up towards the front? Well, I think that one, the one really great thing that we have this year is, is like you've touched on, the... Um... The similar, the strengths and the uh, close comparisons that you can have in terms of performance amongst uh, several driver team pairings, and and those specifically, those driver teams are also uh, pairings are also teams that are closely connected within each other on the grid that are fighting uh, for positions. Mm-hmm. So, what I, I think a huge benefit to having something like that is that you really can try to maximize the potential out of both driver when you have them so closely competitive because they're going to be the one that's going to vie for the top spot and you're going to be able to maybe hopefully squeeze that extra bit of effort out of each other. Uh, So I think that that's something that's really interesting that I love to see when you have that. As for uh, the the rest of the grid, I mean, you can look at maybe a team like Alpine uh, who has two really strong drivers as well and and you could start to compare them at this point. And now that Alpine has gotten a little bit more stable, I wouldn't say that they're completely stable, but but they've started to perform a little bit better than they have over uh, a large part of this season. We can see teams like that uh, coming up a little bit more. And, uh, and like we saw this weekend, right? They both were able to enter Q3, which was really great. So that's something that that is that that's a team pairing there that you can see as a as a comparison as well. And I mean, there are other ones that I feel like um, may not necessarily push each other uh, as much. Like maybe Alfa Romeo with with Botas and Joe. I, I don't really see the two of them being competitive with each other as much. But I think that that more plays a part this year to uh, the team's overall struggles with the car. Uh, they've had a lot of DNFs. They've had a lot of issues. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that this season has a lot of um, a lot of really interesting driver dynamics, especially as the cars, especially as the cars have gotten uh, certain specific cars have gotten better over the season with the upgrades like Mercedes and McLaren that give them that platform to really stretch their legs. Well, the uh, Alpine example is an interesting one because uh, with Ocon having quite a, a decent weekend, uh, they're now only two points apart, uh, Gasly and Ocon. So, uh, so that's going to be it's going to be interesting. Uh, I feel like Ocon has had uh, 
a bit of tough luck uh, earlier on in the season, but it's going to be uh, who do you think uh, Jesse's going to finish on top there with the with the Alpine? Uh... So to be honest with you, I think Ocon's like the secret dark horse. Uh, that guy is is I would say consistent in the sense where he's like eleven, twelve constantly. You know, so he has no points to show for it. But in terms of his skill set, I think that he he actually is pretty good. Um, and I feel like he might just kind of come up on top just because Pierre's just getting used to that car. Um, I, I think it's cool that they they paired two French drivers because that's just kind of uh, how, how you know how fitting and 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 I was I would use the French word panache you know for the team to do that. Um, but it's kind of cool because it, it they, those guys are very similar in talent and and uh, ability. Um, I think Ocon might be a little more cerebral, but I also, I've seen him make mistakes, you know, and Gasly's pretty consistent too, but I, I just think Ocon is like the dark horse, better driver or secret, you know, I guess I would say like a secret, but better driver, that's just my pick, but I, I just kind of, I don't know. I see that from him. Well, one thing that I'll just mention from this weekend from the race, uh, although we haven't talked about it, but since we're talking about Ocon, uh, he was, uh, he, he actually was sick, like physically sick in his helmet during the race on lap 15 and he managed to still perform and end up finishing in p7 so that's that's pretty that is something that needs to be recognized because i'll tell you i don't know if i was physically sick in my helmet on lap 15 <laughs> and then also through the the conditions that they that they had um and mm -hmm. the and the heat and the extreme conditions that they went through to then also managed to secure that was pretty impressive that was impressive indeed uh also impressive since we're still on the saturday uh what about piastri taking pool yeah let's talk about that before we even get into the sprint that first poll for piastri pole as a rookie uh that was that was great and i think what was also really since driver pairings uh, Lando, I question would be if he hadn't ran wide at the very end there, could he have been the one that secured pole? I don't know. I think he would have. Oh, for sure. I think he would have. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of young drivers, um, I kind of see there's like a little club amongst the young guys, you know, like, I guess I want to say like 26 and younger and they're all, uh, you know, sim racers and they all do it like in their spare time and they, they broadcast and stuff like that. Do you guys see you know, guys like uh, Oscar, Lando, Max, uh, the, the guys who are constantly racing, whether it's on a sim or just kind of like doing stuff on the weekends. They, there's like a, a, like a, I want to say like a good boys club, right? Like, you know, the, the young, young, young guys. And because they live and breathe that, they're, they're seeing like the fruits of their efforts. And um, you're seeing the, the young guys who, who that's all they, they live for you know, basically doing stuff like that. And the other guys who kind of have other stuff on the side are starting to kind of fall towards the back of the pack. You know, um, I, I love Lewis Hamilton. I think he's amazing, but I just don't see him as, uh, as the guy who spends his weekends and nights, you know, on the sim with his buddies, like, you know, Lando and, 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 uh, and Max does and stuff like that. Maybe that's why we're seeing these guys toward the front. I don't know. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, if you look at the sprint shootout, P1 until P6, I think you can all classify in that little club uh, <laughs> of yours there. So, yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a fair point. I think uh, there's definitely a difference in, in generation. If you take, uh, let's say, um, 
Lewis and and Alonso and Hulkenberg on the one hand, and then um, yeah, the young guys on the other hand. Uh, there's there's definitely a difference in their uh, approach. Um, I suppose, uh, Sam, do you see that too? Well, I, I think that there's you. There's also just a difference in terms of maybe what they're what they're doing to uh, in their spare time. Although I would say that there was an interesting there was an interesting. Um, interview that Botas once gave, and I'm going to paraphrase at this point, not word for word, but he had mentioned that when he was uh, Lewis's teammate, that there, he hadn't, if, if Botas was on the sim, then Lewis would make sure to be on it double the time. If the, the competitiveness in his nature and the, and the effort that he would put in, um, he would make sure to be, to, to, to always do more than his teammate because of the um because of obviously the commitment and the competitiveness that he has clearly ingrained in him uh, so I, I think that although he may not uh dedicate himself maybe to the sim game to to sim racing or something like that as much as maybe uh the younger generation i i think that also may just be a generational uh situation mm -hmm. because they are younger uh they may have interests that are similar in that sense whereas i mean if if anyone's following Lewis on Instagram, which I'm sure most of us are, you'll see him always documenting his runs and <laughs> like there's always something going on, right? Like several years ago, he was climbing a mountain in the middle of the snow, um, like a peak. So I, I think that it also can just play a part in terms of uh, what they do to utilize their time uh, to, to, to just continue to keep their minds fresh. And, and maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe it's just a, a difference. I don't know if it would necessarily play a part as to... Um, maybe maybe being more committed i think it's ju it's just simply a difference in in interests and and those that younger generation yes they definitely have um more of a relationship and i believe for many of them they've they've come up through the sport together uh so that's mm -hmm. probably helped fuse that bond that they all have and uh and share yeah my wife loves hamilton's posts um, she, she does not mind at all when he <laughs> posts a, sh a, a shirt, shirt off pick, you know, and tells me that I need to go to the gym more. So, you know, Lewis makes me look bad, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely think that, uh, that, that there is a little difference in generation. I, I know cause me and, and Lewis and Alonzo are the same age. Uh, uh, so, you know, your time is more valuable. You know, you, you want to spend more time with your family and stuff like that. And, and I see that, but I, I also see that the young guys, because they race sim like they race like Le Mans style they race all kinds of different stuff so maybe it's just opening up their mind a little bit differently to to uh to to the racing lines and maybe that's helping you know it's just like a like a I guess an observation on my end but um I, it's not to take away commitment because I think those guys are probably the most committed individuals to the sport and the planet because you have so many people that would want to be in a race car like that um, but I definitely think that in particular, the, the habits that they're doing lend itself better, uh, to, to the racing, particularly like pure racing, like, you know, some, these guys, like, uh, you know, if they spend, you know, eight hours a day on the weekend racing, that's, that's a lot of time just on, on a computer, you know, versus having your life curated, like other drivers, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they have plan, they have schedules, they have 
uh, appearances they have to do, stuff like that, you know, and some of the drivers do it, some of them don't, and and maybe it affects their their performance just a touch. And like we're in a game of of milliseconds and hundreds of seconds here. So, you know, two tenths, one tenths make all the difference. And maybe that's where that comes from. It's just an observation on my end. I think it's a really interesting observation to bring up because it's one that I would have never thought about, but but it is one to think about. Uh, because you are right, they 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 do spend a considerable period of time practicing on those tracks. So that that is an interesting assessment. All right, so we want to talk about the sprint, I guess, because we're we're at that point now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let's uh, let's talk sprint. Um, what? Um... Well, I think it was quite an eventful sprint. Um, we had a, uh, we saw at the start that about half the cars were on softs and half the cars were on mediums, and um, mediums turned out to be the better strategy. Although, although that was quite a, a big question mark for quite a while with all the safety cars, and I guess everyone wondering whether that would help the the soft tire runners. But uh, but in the end, um, medium turned out to be the right strategy. Uh, what do you guys think about the start um, with uh, Verstappen and Norris having a lot of wheel spin and being overtaken by uh, by Russell and the Ferraris? So I think that the Red Bull, honestly, in race trim, kind of always struggles a little because if you look at their reaction time when they when they list it, it's always within like 1 100th, you know, it's like 0. 0.27 or 0. 0.28 for, for, the, for, for Max or whoever it is out up front. It's very, very close. Uh, but I noticed the Mercedes, uh, you know, and, and I guess when they're full-on fuel, uh, and they're they're moving. They they come in hot, uh, and I think that that's kind of like the difference maker. If you ever see Max in front, uh, he's not necessarily way out in front. It's always like to that first turn where everything kind of happens as a reaction. I think that the cars on under race trim with fuel, full fuel and cold tires react completely different. And every car has like a, a certain advantage. You know, um, I think that the. Uh, the McLarens really look good in that stance. You, it looked like uh, the Mercedes uh, um, look really good, and I think it's just kind of like that. That uh, when the lights go out, it's 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 a crapshoot of who's really gonna pull it out because you know the, uh, each car is different. You know, with full fuel, cold tires, and reaction, it's like four factors going into it. You know, and you see it every race. It's always like a little difference or something, but that. Uh, that that for me uh, that the, that's how I think the start is always interesting. You know, just race trim uh, at the beginning is is like you know like rolling the dice for per se. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I thought that the uh, race start. I really accept. Russell just put his elbows out, didn't he? He he obviously had the advantage of the softs on at the very beginning, but mm-hmm. he definitely capitalized on it, and that was that was really exciting to see because even in a few, uh, he had a few nail biting uh, moments around some of those turns where he just he didn't let up, and I thought that that was really exciting and uh, obviously an advantage for him in the beginning, but. It, it definitely burned out quite quickly <laughs> after that because he had just lost uh, all grip and the advantage, be- yeah, went to McLaren and the, and the strategy of having mediums. Um, for Was, for it, um, was mm-hmm. it Oscar and Max that had that, that fishtail in, in the first turn? I know Max I for sure Lando. had it. I know one of the McLarens. Yeah, Lando. Okay, yeah. So Lando. like 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, cold tires, heavy setup. I think that that that's kind of like one of those situations where it's anybody's game. Um, but it's interesting to see that how the the soft tires played really well to start, and then in the end, when the graining set in, it was like you're, you're and and I would quote uh, uh, Hamilton, "sitting duck." You know, at right. that point. <laughs> You know, even though that was the race, but but it, but in essence, you know, they, they you want to come out fast and furious to start it, but but in the end, it, it's like a catch twenty two. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was the the only the only driver really on mediums that had a very decent start was Piastri. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, well, it was interesting to well, I mean, if you take the contrast of of, of the rookies with Piastri having <laughs> qualifying on pole, having that kind of start, and then in the first five laps, we had the other two rookies. Um, both uh, both slitting off the track and and causing safety cars it's mm-hmm. uh it's it's been it's well i don't know i <laughs> i don't know are you talking about my american friend logan Sargent? yeah i was gonna say we talk about uh hometown boy uh from um from the canadian side but uh yeah well actually yeah logan had a had a tough weekend too didn't he i think logan Sargent has like goatee fee dna or something because Honestly, it's like it's been a rough year for that poor kid. I feel so bad for him. He's like the the, the roughest start of Formula One history. It's it's I don't know. I don't know if it's self inflicted or, or whatnot, but he just does not have any luck. And as an American, I'd be like, Oh yeah, go American and then you see his results, you're like, Oh, I don't know that guy. He he had a decent start of the weekend in a sense because mm-hmm. I thought that uh, he was all he almost made it into Q two on the race quality, uh, but then but then it was Albon who just said a quicker lap time but uh, but at that point i thought that hey he might actually be quite competitive you know it's a fast track so the williams aren't aren't necessarily bad on these type of tracks so i thought that he might actually go into the weekend pretty pretty decently but in the end uh, yeah it turned out to be quite a quite a shocker for him um, already there in the in the in the sprint but uh, yeah i guess the race wasn't also uh, very um, exciting for him but um but yeah, uh, I don't know. What do you think uh, is going to happen with this seat uh, for next year, Jesse? So it's funny that you mentioned the Williams car. So I don't know if you guys remember in Monaco when the Williams car got destroyed and it was like lifted up and they showed the underbody of the car. Right. And it, yeah. and it just looked like a piece of wood from Home Depot, you know, or whatever. <laughs> it looked like something so basic that even Adrian knew he was he cringing when he saw it, you know. He's yeah. just like... <laughs> So, so when I think of that car, I think to myself that both Alex Albon and Logan Sargent are at a significant disadvantage with their skill set. You know, like that car is just, it's like a flying brick, basically. It's a, a brick with an engine. There's, there doesn't seem to be any thought to the car. Um, and these, uh, Alex Albon in particular has been uh, done, doing really well. So it's, it's strange to me. I don't, I don't know if the car is under-engineered or something like that, but it, it's just like really hard to guess. But Logan Sargent, um, you know, has had to defend himself really, and, and I think the team principal stuck up for him the other day, and saying that his seat is not uh, at risk, but in reality, probably is. Um, you know, but but man, that that it, that's a tough position to be in because that's kind of like the bastion race team of, of Formula One right now. Like you can see in the effort, of, you know, of the pit stops. Their pit stops are like a second and a half slower than everybody else. Their car, when you look at the bottom, it's it looks like a, a you know piece of plywood, 
you know, what, what are they really doing to really advance that team besides painting it with these cool color schemes and, and that really smart Duracell advertisement, which I think that's the <laughs> coolest part. Uh, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like what are they doing over there? And, and these guys, they're kind of sort of paying for it. If you really think about it, you know? I think that uh, what we've seen, Williams Williams can also be because of the because of the fact that they are historic, like as of recent history, uh, been a team that is at the back of the grid. Uh, that would also potentially provide a driver an opportunity to really make a name for themselves and and have the opportunity to to be put into a conversation for a second seat. Uh, somewhere up the grid. And we've seen it with Russell, right? Because if you're a driver that takes a car like that and you max or Albin, we're looking at Albin this year. If you're a driver that takes a car like that, that everybody knows is at a disadvantage uh, and you're still able to find a way to perform, I mean, the the, the eyes would be upon you. That magnifying glass is going to be upon you because of the fact that you're doing that. I think that in some respects from a strategical standpoint uh there have been some weekends where strategic wise the the setup and the way that they have tried to maximize what they have has worked um however i logan i think yes he's he's been put in a position as a rookie where he starts uh in a car that uh that has notoriously some issues and uh and and i think that for him he's also made some human errors but he's also a rookie and it doesn't make it any better when it's consistently pretty much every weekend at this point i know that this weekend he i i, b I believe at the end of the race well he obviously didn't finish and that was because he wasn't feeling well and i don't know if that is necessarily because of the environment, because I know that there was several drivers that actually went to the medical center after the race because they were just mm -hmm. um, like, I mean, there is, there's video of Albin getting out of the uh, Williams and um, barely being able to climb out of the car himself. And there's the video of them helping Logan out of the car. So I don't know if he wasn't well as a result of of the environment and and being in the car at the at the heat that it was, or uh, if he actually was under the weather. Now, I let's think just it's a combination of the two things. They were yeah. saying that he had some flu symptoms already going into this week, but of course, uh, yeah, it was also you know a combination with the circumstances during the right. during the race that he got very dehydrated and in the end uh, took a toll of him, but. Uh, yeah, that was that was um, he was doing quite all right, I think, in the beginning of the race, actually. But uh, yeah, sad to see. That's what I was gonna say, actually, is that if if there was also an extenuating circumstance where he was under the weather, like with the flu, and then you put him in that position where it's all it's a it's a physically grueling race where even the healthiest drivers are are struggling to get out of the car. The fact that he was, uh, I mean, we go back to qualifying. He was he was basically neck and neck with Albin in terms of times for the most part. So he, you do see an improvement this weekend. However, you've kind of seen that in several races where he's had these moments where you can see where where you can question. Okay, you know, maybe maybe he does deserve that second seat, and then all of a sudden something happens, right? So it's up and down for him. I. I saw that video as well that you were referring to with James uh, talking about his seat. And yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to for him, I guess, to have the support of the team. But you also have to wonder if 
that support is also being communicated in order to give him the hopeful maybe mental security so that he can just try to perform at his best with the last bit that he does have at this point for the season. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that these uh, team principals as leaders, you know, they have to support their driver just to get them in a good headspace. Um, I think that Logan is still young. He's going to make mistakes. And then there's just only more glaringly obvious simply because he's in a car that's not competitive compared to others. So uh, it's definitely like, uh, like the odds are stacked against him. So every time he fails or, or something goes wrong, it just becomes more glaringly obvious. Um, you know, it's it's a tough game, and like like we were saying earlier, you know, it's millimeter separ- or sorry, uh, milliseconds separate the teams. And uh, if you have any kind of you know fault setback or something like that, it just amplifies it. And Logan Sargent is like the scapegoat because there's a lot of hope with him. He's the only American driver. He's on the up and coming team, and then every time that happens, they're like, oh yeah, look at this guy, look at this guy. So it's just kind of like the spotlights on him a little more than most. Um, Alex Albon, I, I love Alex Albon. I think when he was racing with Red Bull, there was so much potential there. I think the pressure got to him a little bit. And then, you know, uh, we know the team at Red Bull expects perfection, you know, from the get-go. And I think that that played a part in, in uh, that step down. And then everything else kind of changed because of that. You know, uh, you know driver availability and, and the circumstances and everything changed. But uh, I think uh, Alex Albon really is a great driver. And, uh, you know, given an opportunity, I think he, he would really be successful. And you'd see him, you know, with the, with the, with the top tier guys. Uh, just my, my observations from what I've seen from him earlier in his career. Yeah, and he showed his ability again during the, during the sprint race. I mean, he finished, mm-hmm. well, he finished eighth, but because of putting pressure on Leclerc, Leclerc went off track um, and, and took a, a track limit penalty. And, and that promoted Albon to, to seventh. So, yeah, I think finishing uh, seventh in a, in a Williams during the sprint race was uh, definitely maximum, uh, maximum uh, well, outcome for him because I think he, he started P17. He was P18 at, uh, I think, at the first restart after the first safety car or the second one. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I don't think there was any more to get out of that Williams. Uh, like you said, it's in, in car development. They've not been very strong. Uh, although I do agree with Sam that strategy-wise, they 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 come up with, um, yeah, with, with some smart things here and there. So uh, that's actually getting them a couple of points on the board here and there. Uh, we saw that last season. We see it this season. Um, but uh, mentioning the safety cars, we had three of them. Uh, we, we mentioned the first two incidents with, um, with Lawson and Sargent going off. The third one was uh, a little bit of a sandwich uh, for Hulkenberg between Ocon and Paris. What did you make of that? So I remember seeing that so well. And uh, Perez uh, ended up not knowing what happened at all. He literally jumped out of the car like, what the hell is going on? Right. And I, I think that... I'm, when the three of them are, are there and Hulkenberg step back, I think that him stepping on the brakes to get out of the sandwich situation is actually what launched Ocon into Perez because when he hit that back tire, the right turn came immediate into Perez. I, I really feel like if the three of them would have stayed together, it would have been a, a, a little less damaging result for, for all drivers involved. Um you know, when you go three wide, like we've seen in the, in the last couple of races, you know, uh, people can make it out of it, but, but it was just like chaos 
because one it's like a uh, one begets the other and i just remember paris being so upset you know i felt bad for the guy because the guy's you know been under so much uh pressure this this season and to have something that happens to you that's not your fault is is like even more devastating and it kind of like my phone went off and it's like max verstappen wins his third uh, uh championship because perez crashed you know i'm like that's not the way to announce that you know what i'm saying that's not a cool thing for perez to it, it, it sounds like oh yeah because perez choked max is now champion like that's not the way for for a guy to really you know kind of uh get a fair shake in the way things are working out yeah, so regardless me, of, of that crash, he would yeah. have he would have uh, been champion. Regardless, correct, correct. But just literally ESPN clickbait, like they're they're dying right. for that opportunity yeah. to yeah. talk about it in that sense. And it, and it and it really sucked because I'm I'm a big fan of Checo, like being a Hispanic guy myself. Like I love the fact that we're seeing a Mexican, you know, uh, seeing, seeing progress and and being in the races. And I can't wait to see the effort race in, in Mexico City. I, I think it's fantastic. That's one of my uh, grail races to go to you know and um man it's 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 exciting but that but the pressure is is like unsurmounting it's like crazy uh for him and and it's it's really played a big part of like where the distances between the two on that on that in that team go you know it's earlier in the season we thought it was going to be a neck and neck fight all the way through you know when Max's car broke down and Checo won the race they're like oh Red Bull's going to win every single race for the rest of the year and it's you know i don't know what the factors are. I mean, we know that Max's car is rear bias and, and he loves it that way. And Checo's used to understeer and it's just a different approach. But, but for me, I, I it's, it's tough for, for Checo uh, to, to really, really get everything out of the car with all that pressure. You know, he's older. Uh, he He's the second driver. And then every time he has a result like that, it's, even if it's not his own fault, it's, it, it it's still eyes on him, you know, like, how, how, how do you progress in that situation? It's, it's got to be tough. No, but you're right. I think it's a good assessment also of what happened there with the sandwich. I think it was, if, if anybody was not to blame, it wasn't, it was definitely not Perez. It was a combination, like you said, of, of uh, Hulkenberg going on the brakes and then them being three wide, Ocon actually going slightly to the right and the combination of those two things, uh, yeah, um, resulted in, uh, in a very unfortunate, uh, uh, yeah, crash where, Perez, yeah, he really couldn't do much about it. Uh, and you could see his frustration when he was standing there in the gravel. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to see that. But um, but you me you mentioned you are going to the uh, Mexican Grand Prix yourself. I, I want to go to one of them that's on my list. So I I've done right, quite a right, few races. Right. It's definitely on my list of like top five that I want to see. Um, I, I actually went to Mexico City a couple of years back and it was spectacular. And their food, I'm a big foodie, so their food scene is incredible. And uh, not to mention, I, I would love to go see a race. Uh, I've been to a couple of races in Europe uh, and uh, Canada I've done in 2006. Uh, I've done Miami a couple of times, obviously, with my handle. I'm an F1 Miami guy. I got to go there every year. Um, but uh, um, definitely on the hot list. Uh, Brazil is another one that's on the hot list for me. What would you say, just uh, since we're on the topic of races and you've you've been to a, to several, what would you say is your favorite that you've seen or or your favorite track that you've been to? Yeah, so uh, easy, Monaco, twenty nineteen. I went for my ten year oh, wow. wedding anniversary. Yeah, and uh, believe it or not, the Monaco race is, you know, uh, Formula One is expensive to go to. Uh, however, if you kind of know the tips and the tricks. 
to get around it, you can actually go for a reasonable price. So uh, where we went in 2019 is my 10 year wedding anniversary. Uh, we went into Italy and then we segued up and we stayed in Nice. We rented an Airbnb, a simple little one bedroom. It was like $150 a night. And the train station uh, in Nice is only two stops away from Monaco. Uh, so one of my best friends and mentor who I raced with, uh, you know, he had gone before he, uh, rents an RV during the summer and, and goes all over Europe and stuff. And he kind of told me the trick. So stay in Nice. It's fairly inexpensive. It's a beautiful place. And excuse me, it's only like two stops away from Monaco. Now, the only thing you got to do on race days, you got to get on the train and go North two stops, get back on to go uh, South because the train gets full in Nice because everybody's going to the race that's local. Uh, um, but we sat on Yacht Row. It was out of this world cool. And if uh, we're, we're on my phone, but uh, the coolest thing ever happened to me. Uh, me and my wife walking, we went to go see the castle at the peak of Monaco. And, and you know, you hear the music like going off after the race. So we're like, oh, we got to go see, see what's going on. Like they're having parties and stuff. So we go down and we're walking and I have my ticket on, on the lanyard and I'm walking through. So they let us through to the track. What they do is they actually open the track after the race and they set up bars all the way through. So you're actually having drinks and walking around the track. Oh, wow. So it's, it's super fun. And then as you're walking through, you know where all those yachts are that you see in, 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 in the, on TV? That deck right. is open so you can walk by these yachts and all these people are having fun. All the music is going on and it's a great time. And people like invite you on the boats and you have drinks with them. And it's like, it's so fun. It's, it's an unreal, surreal experience. It felt like another planet. And as we were walking down to the track, they were loading Hamilton's car in the trailer. So we got to watch them, you know, do the process of putting the car into the trailer. But as I'm walking, I'm recording my phone and I turn around and I get run over by a vehicle that's moving. It was Vettel's Ferrari with a cover that was on like the, the <laughs> wheels. And literally I have the video of them passing me by and it like literally hits my feet and, and they're like, no pictures. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm videotaping this. <laughs> so like, I literally have a video uh, on my Instagram. If you guys see it, it the, the car is covered with the tarp that says Ferrari but they're literally pushing it towards the trailers because everything in Monaco is so narrow. They literally have to walk the car like, like I guess a quarter mile or something like that from the pit area to the trailers where they're loading the cars to get ready for the next race. Right. And it was, it was just like, for me, I've been to, I, I, so last year I went to spa, which was magic. That was really, really cool. And then I went to Zandvoort the weekend after is my 40th birthday trip that my buddy uh, took me on. It was amazing. But Monaco was just Hands down, fantasy, uh, you know, crazy. The the fans, everybody was so nice. Everybody's dressed well. Uh, the vibe was there. People were walking with champagne glasses. You know, this is like race day. It's like it felt like it was eighty five degrees, or I guess you got you guys would call it like thirty eight or something like that. Um, you know, in Europe. But I still remember it. It was just like a surreal experience. It's been like five years for me. And to this day, I cannot talk highly enough about it. And we were able to get a three-day ticket for 500 euros. So most races wow. are around that price. So, yeah, exactly. uh, you know, yeah. So, so it's actually, you know, besides the fact that it's super expensive to stay, uh, if you stay, you know, off in Nice or somewhere else, uh, you can get yourself a ticket for uh, between, you know, 500 to 1,000 euros for a three-day ticket, which is 
pretty well priced considering like Vegas right now is running for like three thousand yeah, dollars. Exactly. And yeah. Miami, I know I started in Miami. The first ticket I bought was seven twenty five for my three day ticket, and then they raised the price on me to nine twenty five. And then this year, uh, when we were there, I felt like I overpaid, so I decided not to renew my seats because it just for me it didn't seem like it makes a lot of sense because I was seeing a lot of the the single race tickets for like three hundred fifty bucks, four hundred dollars. So I think I'm gonna try to buy them on the market this year just because it was so expensive. And I was able to even get into like the pool club for free. They gave us wristbands. So, um, you know, we're always trying to go to a race somewhere. And uh, my wife and I, we, we have a great time. And my six-year-old actually comes with us to the Miami races. So it's, it's a real fun experience. And my, my six-year-old exciting. knows all the drivers. Yeah, it's really, really fun. It's, it's really cool. So uh, the One is like a, a big part of our lives here at the house. And Saturday and Sunday, we really enjoy uh, uh watching the races so it's it's really really fun and it's a, a good cerebral sport if you really think about it you know there's a lot of technicality so you know for people to see um you know uh this sport you know we we look at it very uh granular like we look at everything about it and i i find like the the layperson in particular as, as i'm trying to get back into our conversation about the sprint i think the sprint is a really good approach for like the average person that's never seen formula one it's short, but it's a lot of action. It's a lot of fun. You know, I, I think that the sprint is, is, is ideal for like an introduction into Formula One. I don't know. Sorry, I've been talking my, 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 talking a lot, but tell me what you guys think. No, well, that Monaco experience, <laughs> that, that sounded amazing, first yeah. of all. <laughs> yeah. And really cool. You get to visit the... It's definitely uh, two races that, uh, that Anton and I have talked about, uh, different places that, that we would love to go see. Uh, Obviously, we were both at the Canadian one just in mm-hmm. June, uh, but Spa and Monaco are are up there for for me. I think Monaco for the experience and and the fact that you described it like that that just only heightens the <laughs> the, the want to go there and and Spa for for the history and and the track as well. That that's really. So can I give really you a little cool. secret for Canada? Just uh, since you live there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. When you, when you, this is something that happened in 2006. It's been many years. I don't know if that's the situation now. So uh, Pit Lane, Canada, you're walking towards a casino because the race is over. Uh, it's probably right. an hour past uh, the uh, uh, podium ceremony. The Pit Lane ends and the fence that the blocks everything ends and there's still barriers, but most people keep walking because they're headed out. Right. If you jump the fence you end up in the pits, but just in that direction, there's a bridge. And this is the bridge where all the staff and the drivers take mm-hmm. to get to their cars. Well, in 2006, we went to the bridge. We just crossed over. Nobody saw us. We kind of just walked over, took pictures with Fernando Alonso, uh, Kimi Raikkonen, uh, Ralph Schumacher, all wow. these guys. And, uh, and uh, it was, and imagine, I, I, I still think Monaco is like the coolest but um it was really really neat um that was my, the only time i went to canada and i just remember meeting like three drivers and poor fernando alonso he's walking signing autographs and he's not paying attention he almost falls in the water of of the lake and i'm like fernando like in spanish and he was like oh muchas gracias he gave me like a little like hug and just freaking took off and like to this day i still tell my friends i was like i got hugged <laughs> You know, yeah, you saved him so, from falling in the water. <laughs> yeah, so if I ever meet that guy, I'm gonna remind him. He's probably gonna have no idea what I'm talking about. 
Nice. Well, we I, I know exactly the bridge, actually, uh, Anton. I, I did not know that you could do that after the race, uh, but we we were able to um, to have a pretty, pretty cool experience and do the pit walk, pit lane walk um, on the Thursday, I believe it <laughs> was, <laughs> because that whole weekend was a blur, but it was the Thursday that we were able to do the pit lane walk and we were able to come up that side and see that bridge. And uh, and then Anton actually he he managed to get a few pictures. One with Piastri as well, where Piastri nice. looked like lovingly into your eyes. Um, there was a few. There was... <laughs> yeah, then the, the other romance one. started so, there. Yeah, yeah, it did. I doubt he remembers it though. But, uh, but no, yeah, I doubt that. Were... But <laughs> but no, we we uh, we managed to get a few. Um, uh, I, for me it was walk bys just a few joe and, and logan and piastri yeah we and, saw all uh, yeah we saw yeah. all yes we did yep so we had a, we had a few cool experiences but, but i never knew that um and i know exactly where you're talking exactly where you're talking about so does anton so yeah we we can take notes and and um hopefully next year well i will be there next year hopefully if anton and uh and his girlfriend it's come that would be really great and and we'll We'll definitely have to take notes for it, Sana, because we know where she'll be after the race. <laughs> she'll be running to the bridge. <laughs> yeah, it was really neat. And then, of course, like as a car guy, you see the cars that are on that side of the bridge, and there's Lamborghinis, Ferrari. Well, not Lamborghinis, sorry, Ferraris. Uh, some really cool, neat cars that are that are there. That the drivers, it's like their personal cars or whatever they're given for the race. Uh, and it's just like stuff that you know you never see on the road. It's just fascinating. Yeah, we actually, uh, during that weekend, we also walked into uh, Fred Vasseur and uh, Antonio Giovinazzi uh, at, uh, at a yep. local restaurant where they just... You met Race Jesus? And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we just, yeah, we, we were, did. I mean, it was just pure coincidence. We were walking somewhere and we saw a couple of Ferraris pulling up and then we were just standing there. And I mean, the, Montreal was filled with Formula One fans, but we were, I think, the only Formula One fans standing around there. And then we just saw them coming out of the car and a friend of us, uh, Ajit, he just ran up to them and asked to take a picture with them. And they were, <laughs> they were joking and laughing and, and yeah, it was really, it was, it was quite cool. Uh, that's cool. Canada is a lot of fun. I remember eating at a steakhouse called Vargas that was fantastic. Um, and uh, having ice wine for the first time. Never in my life uh, had anything like that. It was delicious. And uh, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. And uh, Canada is, it was, I was up there. Uh, definitely would go back. And um, I love how, um, I mean, I'm not familiar with Canada too much, but I know uh, Montreal has like the old city and the new city. And it's like very uh, split between yeah. the two, but I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, uh, old the the old part is is much uh, very European esque. Uh, so mm -hmm. it has the cobblestone streets and the really beautiful old architecture. And uh, th this that's where we into run into Fred Visser and uh, Antonio Giovinazzi because uh, that, that was where they were. The Ferrari party was in that part of the city. And during the F1 weekend, I mean, this city, uh, it just, it, it always is alive during the summer. It's, it's a really great city to be a part of in this time. But that, that weekend in particular, it's, it's like everything just shuts down for F1 weekend. Mm -hmm. And, uh, not only is there all these really cool parties and events going on, but the cars 
the the cars that are on the street are just to, mm -hmm. to see pe people bring out their not just their finest clothing they bring out their finest cars and you see just about everything on the street in in montreal so it's it's a it's a really cool experience uh, um it, it's a beautiful city but it's it's if you're an f1 fan and you're you're here on that weekend it's a it's a great experience to be a part of yeah, that's what I experienced. It was a lot of fun. And what I did notice when I was, uh, I just specifically remember this. Um, if you have a power outlet in front of your house, right, it's got to be cold as hell during the winter there because it's the engine block heaters, like the attachment for it. You know, I had to ask my friend, I was like, why does the power outlets in front of everybody's house? I'm like, dude, you get, it gets in the negatives. So you have to like plug this in to keep your car warm so you can even start in the morning. And for me, I'm just like, wait, that doesn't even make sense. So I, I just wondered, you know, how it's it, when we were there it was gorgeous weather, and I was saying to myself, "There's no way this place is like negative 22 during the winter," but apparently so. It can get very very cold here. Yeah, it's uh, I'm it's Canada in certain spots uh, can get extremely ex extremely cold in the winter time. So uh, we're we're very used to having minus below temperatures. It's it's a normal thing, and a lot of snow and digging your car out, and uh, it is it is a part of a four season, uh, I guess year that we experience usually, and uh, it can it can get, also get quite hot here too. But then again, I mean that's my experience as someone that that lives half the year in the cold i what i think is hot may not necessarily be as hot as what the two of you experience where you live, so. <laughs> yeah I, f I figure we're in similar climate anton yeah i think it's right that's about right <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so let's uh, let's move on i guess into we should we should mention one thing about the sprint race i mean we've we've touched on on a few things here but i think the most we, we went over the fact of the collision and i think the the only two really important things that i would say about that sprint race in itself is number one piastri winning his first race definitely a huge accomplishment for him and uh not to be overshadowed <laughs> of course max securing his third world title interestingly enough he secures it during a sprint race and he doesn't secure it during a win. He actually secures it as a result of Perez uh, DNFing in that sprint race. It was enough for him to, to, to obtain that title. So those are two really uh, important things. I think obviously more importantly, the fact that Max won his third world title. Uh, I guess also we can collectively agree there is no surprise that that was going to happen this season. <laughs> But what are, what are the two of your thoughts when it comes to Max uh, this year as a whole, his dominance, where if we're to just map out now that he has officially earned that title, um, his run this year, his reign this year as a world champion, what are the, some of the highlights that the two of you would look at? All right, so... I've been following Max for a long time. I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally, like, as my shirt, you know, shows. Um, I've been following Max since, like, the karting days of him and Leclerc. You know, I kind of, as, as a, you know, kind of just following, I think it was 2018 where I kind of started really paying attention. And in 2019, when I went to Monaco, uh, we watched Max dart in and try to make this crazy pass that he was penalized on and he never ended up getting the benefit of it. Yeah, yeah. But, exactly. but, but yeah. that day... I bought like the button up from Red Bull and I was like, oh, and I hate to say it like this, this kid has balls. I like this guy. 
so like for me, like that day was, a, 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 he cemented himself as like my favorite driver at the time. And as I'm watching this kid progress and get better and better, I, you know, my buddy uh, who I consider my mentor and we used to race together, um, he would always be like, ah, no, I don't know. You know, the Dutch, they're not very impressive or whatever. But we watched this kid's career kind of grow and grow and grow. And, and then 2021 was like that, that oh shit moment. Uh, you know, obviously at Abu Dhabi was chaos, but it, but it was interesting. And I think it was actually good for the sport. A lot of people feel differently. It's a very polarizing scenario. But um, my buddy Jose tells me straight out and at the very beginning, he's like, oh, he's going to win his third and he's going to win it easily. And I said, what makes you think that? He was like, he has no pressure. The car is in good form and it's going to be easy. And I really feel like it was super easy for him this year. You know, the car is a rocket. Uh, they've actually had to do minimal development. If you look at the rest of the teams, the rest of the teams have been playing catch up all the way through to the season until now where it's, where you're finding some parity, but it's too late. He already won. Um, I think it's cool. I think it's, it's nice, uh, that, uh, that the, this team in Red Bull has seen the fruits of their labors come to fruition, you know, after a lot of effort and, and chasing Mercedes for years and years, they did good, um, with Vettel. And then they kind of were at a disadvantage, uh, you know, and then Adrian Newey comes in again. And I, I believe Adrian Newey is responsible for uh, 20-something championships. Is that accurate, Sam? Some, some crazy number like that where, where every car that he's designed pretty much wins everything? Yeah, I, I don't know the... They mentioned it today, so I wasn't sure exactly, but they, they mentioned it. It was something crazy like, uh, you know, he's responsible or been on the teams for like 25 championships or something like that, which is crazy. Um, but I definitely think that Max easily won this year. He's easily the best driver. Um, I wonder what it would be like for him to like jump in at AlphaTauri and see what he could do just for curiosity, you know, and, and, and to, to basically, uh, uh, entertain all the, the, the people who, who, uh, who, who talk back and forth and, and, and all the chatter. If you go on the social media, people are like, oh, the only reason why Max won is because the car's a rocket, you know, but. Checo's driving the same exact car and he's obviously not uh, doing as well, you know? So it's a big question mark. Uh, is Mac the ultimate driver right now or is the car the ultimate car? So it's like a big question mark. But uh, I really do feel that uh, Max has done a good job. He's aggressive, which is good. Um, he, he, there is definitely a lot of the things like where I guess remember Checo wasn't performing or something like that. And, and, and he had that radio exchange where he was like, I thought I told you guys, you know, I don't, I don't remember the wording, but it definitely came off, uh, I, I guess the word is dickish, you know. Um, but I guess that these guys are the best of the best and they want to be the champion. So they're going to have that attitude no matter what. They're not going to feel bad for the other guy because the whole point is to win races. Um, I'm just happy uh, uh, for the team and the fact that Max goes out of his way to thank the team goes a long way. Uh, one of the best follows on Instagram is the F1 mechanic, Callum, uh, the guy with the dreadlocks. He, he's a lot of fun to follow on social media, so I, I follow his posts a lot. And um, I think it's cool. And the team seems to have like a really cool like swagger and camaraderie that, that I'm a fan of. So not only is uh, Max and Checo great drivers, but I think the team itself uh, is a lot of fun. I don't know. What do you guys think? Maybe I'm just a homer. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, I, we've, we've talked about it uh, at length 
almost every single well all together over this season uh max's success and and that's hugely in part to the the constant wins and consistency and and i think that the team as well is is at the is at the top tier form that it possibly can be in in all respects with with the um with the exception of the struggles that they're having, uh, obviously with Checo and his own struggles and performance, but really, I mean, as a whole, he's still number two uh, in the standings. So, I mean, when you look at it and they secured the Constructors' Championship already, and that's that's also a part of Checo's performance. So I think that as a whole, you know, the uh, Red Bull is at the top of their game. And it's going to uh, leave a lot uh, to. It's gonna. It's gonna be. It's gonna be an interesting. I'm looking forward to 2024. To be honest with you, because I think at this point we're going to now focus more attention, or at least most people would focus more attention. I assume heading into the remainder of the season on the performances of you know the second and third on the podium or maybe who can possibly uh if there's ever a mistake or an error on Red Bull or Max's end who can maybe snatch up the the race win the of the last few races of the season things like that are going to be of more interest at this point um but going into 2024 it's uh, like do we think that Red Bull is going to falter I don't know I think that they you've already touched on the fact that they have um just a, a a strong solid team in so many areas in pretty much every area that you can think of and so 2024 is going to be i think more or less who is going to or what teams are going to be able to start and start strong and give them a run for their money we'll see so but all in all i think that uh, max clearly deserves the title this year uh, he's been on an insanely dominant run. And I think that he has also shown uh, in several races that his skill and his skill level as a driver. And um, I think that at times we sometimes don't pay as much attention to that because of the overall consistent success that they've had in this season. Uh, but I don't think that that should take away from the fact that he deserves the title and he has, he's already had an incredible young at the, at the age that he is. Yeah, it's true. I, I think that uh, recently there's not been a lot of focus. I mean, if you, if you watch the races, uh, you very seldomly see Max getting screen time because there's just not a lot to show that goes wrong. And, and, and there's a lot of, I mean, it's, it's, we're almost getting used to this level of performance, but uh, we got to realize how special it is, um, because very much so for that comparison between him and 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 Perez, it's just no, it's an outstanding performance. And um, yeah, going forward, it's hard to see anything change in the next couple of years. I guess um, with regulation changes in 26, we might see some shakeup, but uh, but uh, yeah, 24 and 25. Um, I hope that um, teams like um, what we see now with McLaren can can cling on and uh, actually fight for race wins on merit, like we've seen during the sprint. Um, and and you mentioned that too. I think that um, well, of course, we've seen during Singapore that um, there was a different different winner. But of course, in that weekend, Red Bull had a had a kind of a yeah a, a very strange weekend. 
Um, this sprint race actually in, in Qatar was, was one of the few races where um, Max was actually challenged um, while he didn't have any problems with his car or anything. So, um, yeah, I, I would like to hope that we see that a bit more often in 24. Um, but I have strong doubts that we will. I don't know. I, I, I have a little bit more optimism and hope going into 2024, especially with um, with the turnaround that McLaren's had. I feel like if they, if, if they could have bounced back, and also Mercedes, you know, like Mercedes, I think, is going to come back. I, I, it's just a question of when. So and let's, not, let's not take Ferrari out of the equation because, I mean, for all their struggles, I still think that going into 2022, they, had, they, definitely, gave, they definitely had a few wins. So if the, if the gap is shortened, uh, because right now that's the biggest question. I mean, look at look at the this the difference usually when Max secures a win, um, it's it's by it's by quite a large time difference. And so, if there's an ability to just shorten that window, uh, then I think that that leaves a lot of lot more of an opportunity for other teams to be able to come into contention. And I hope that's the case going into 2024. Yeah, All just right. getting back to the. The, the, yeah, just go going ahead. back to the sprint win of, of Biastri, the only thing I still wanted to mention is that um, I think one of the things that really got him the win was his defending against Sainz. So after the restart um, of the first safety car, uh, Russell overtook um, overtook uh, Biastri on, on soft tires. And there was a moment where, where Sainz was almost getting ahead of him too, which if he would have, um, I think that would have meant that on the second safety car, um, there would have been a larger gap um, between um, between Russell and um, and 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 uh, Piastri, and later onward uh, with the third safety car. Um, because of that, we had um, we had a restart where Piastri had um, had Russell in between him and Verstappen, and and that gave him some time to break away and and finally get the win. Because during the last couple of laps, I think there was about two seconds between Piastri and and Verstappen, and um, Verstappen couldn't close the gap. Um, I think that um, earlier on, that little battle that Piastri had with Sainz was really the thing that that uh, secured him the win. And um, yeah, I just I, I thought that that was one of the moments of, of of brilliance that you can that you I don't know um, rarely see with rookie drivers unless they are extremely talented. Like, and I think that is what Piastri is. So um, yeah, I thought that was a that was a very exciting part of the of the Saturday and, and seeing him take that that win and being so cool about it and and you know he I think people uh, stress that very often that he's very calm on the radio and very calm in the interviews but uh, but yeah um, I think that also has something to do with his confidence in his ability and uh, yeah I would like to applaud that uh, that result because um, I think it's just the first of of well, like we were talking about now, it obviously depends on the on the development of McLaren, but it could be one of, of, of many wins to come for Piastri. I have to say that uh, I'm very impressed with Oscar. Um, the only thing that sucks is that the poor kid won the sprint race and all he gets is this little plaque that's like a little square. Right. <laughs> you know, like you would think that your first like victory. Yeah, exactly. You think your first victory, you're like, yeah, I'm going to get this awesome trophy. And it's like, no, nah, it's just a little square. There you go. <laughs> it was a little bit similar when when Russell won in Brazil last last year, but then luckily for him, he also won the actual race. 
uh, and now Piastri had to settle for second during the race. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I agree. I think these these uh, prizes for for winning a sprint race are yeah leaving something to the imagination because it's it's not really uh, something to. I get almost very feel like the, the qualifying award of the trophy is better. Right, I guess. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the tire with the with the imprint, that's probably a better right. trophy than the, the simple yeah. like number one, you know? All right, well, let's talk a little bit about this Sunday. Uh, Lots to talk about there as well. I think the first thing we talk about is the race start, uh, Sam. Which part are you about to ask me? <laughs> wow, I'm referring to Mercedes, obviously. I knew it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, when you say race start, and then I knew, I, <laughs> I mean, that was probably the most uh, exciting part of, well, not exciting. Well, I shouldn't say exciting. Um, unfortunate for uh for mercedes uh to see both drivers in the gravel at the turn one um but yeah that that start was uh was was an interesting one wasn't it you have lewis on softs um and i think like jesse you had you had touched on him commenting right before the race feeling like he was a sitting duck and mm -hmm. uh, that may have played a part into that decision because as he's expressed on his own accord uh, that was something that was pretty much his fault for that collision. Um, I think that maybe him being on softs and and maybe feeling like he had to to make some considerable ground, maybe that's what he was trying to do, I guess, and uh, and kind of cut Russell a little bit close, didn't really give him much of a room to breathe. And then, of course, they touched and and off they went. And for him, it was a retirement. And for Russell, he, he did, I believe, sustain a bit of damage, but uh, he managed to come back and put on quite an impressive performance because um, having that incident fall to the back of the grid and then still resulting with a P4 is a pretty solid result, I would say. Uh, so it was a little bit of a recovery for Mercedes. However, I was just thinking, you know, when when that situation happened, I, I was... Uh, I, I was almost wishing that Toto was in the garage because just to see the reaction, maybe, although it wouldn't have been a happy one, uh, sometimes his reactions are priceless when it comes to... More, more uh, headphones being thrown at full speed. Yeah, seat, headphones you know? being thrown right. or something happening. Like, there, there's, always, there's always some sort of uh, a little bit of an entertainment value that you get when it comes to some extreme highs or lows that Mercedes has because he's definitely an expressive person in the paddock. So... Uh, we didn't get a chance to see that, although he did somehow come on the radio to Russell at one point and tell him to just race because clearly Russell seemed a little shaken up. Yeah, these things happen and, um, and you know, they move on and at least they were able to recover points. Now, really, in comparison, they have uh, one of their closest competitors in the Constructors title at this point is Ferrari. And so... In a sense, they still managed to get the upper hand um, when you're looking at it because Sainz didn't actually, uh, he wasn't able to be a part of the race. So that's a huge disadvantage in terms of uh, positions for Ferrari in itself for the race weekend. And that was because of the fuel leak that we discussed. And for Leclerc, I mean, he finished just behind Russell in D5. So ultimately, 
unfortunate situation for in the beginning for Mercedes, but uh, at least they were able to recover some points and, and he was able to get the best result that he probably could have uh, after something like that. So It's interesting you mention it because Lewis was quite diplomatic after the race, but during the race, just after the incident, he, he came on the radio and said I got, he got taken out by his teammate. Mm-hmm. Well, but I think yeah, that's something that... I was going to mention. Yeah. So, so initially, like we, we always look and, and we think to ourselves, hindsight is 2020, right? So, right. Uh, in that moment, right? And as somebody that's kind of driven a little bit, I, I can see that he had the outside line, but he wanted to shoulder over to, yeah. to, take, to take on Russell. If he would have just held his line, he actually had the advantage going into it. He should have just stayed straight and he would have cleared it. And it would have been fine. He was kind of like his own if worst he enemy. If taken a wider line, he would have had way more than enough space. Correct. To just, he was already you know, ahead. Yeah, exactly. And that's why the accident happened that way. Because uh, he was already ahead. And where he hit, it was uh, Rus uh, Russell's left front hit his right rear. So if he would have just stayed out and had the straighter line, he would have not only cleared him, he would have obviously gotten that position. So because he didn't have he the grip advantage his... of the soft tires, I mean that was very obvious that he was quicker than Russell. Yeah. So yeah, 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 it was surprising. So what and what it was is the flaring of the elbows is what cost him. If you really think about it, you yeah. know. So I think that uh, in that moment he wanted to be dominating, and it cost him. It was just like a risk versus reward scenario, and it obviously didn't work out for him. Um. You know, for, for me, those two are very close in talent and, and the car's abilities. It matches well for them. And I don't know if people really realize this, but Hamilton is third in the championship. You know, in te and technically, he's been very consistent with the results, you know, uh, of where he's been. So um, it's a shame that he didn't get to, to flex more of that in a, a track that seemed to be advantageous to Mercedes based on their positions in the sprint and qualifying and everything else. Um, it's, it's kind of like the silent third place, you know, everybody's paying attention to the front. So they don't realize that Hamilton, albeit very little on the podium has been much more far ahead. And, and uh, McLaren is just almost catching up. We'll see what happens by the end of the season. Something completely different. What about uh, the contest between uh, Stroll, Perez, and Gasly of who could collect more uh, track <laughs> limit penalties? Well, first of all, Alonso had something working against him. His ass was on fire. Remember, right. he was like commenting, can somebody throw some ice on me or something like that? So uh, I would tell you, that guy wanted the race to be over more than everybody else. <laughs> He's like, hurry up, lap 57, let's go. My butt's on fire. Poor guy. Um, that I just remember them bringing it up. And I was hoping to see some like 1980s action where somebody gets like a, a cooler and throws ice on top of him or something cool like that. But not, that never happened. <laughs> I was all excited for, for like a old Ayrton Senna moment or um, do you guys, I don't know if you guys remember Joss Verstappen where he almost caught fire when they were refueling the car. Right, and it, like, caught fire. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in my head, I like, I'm having flashbacks of all these old cool uh, scenarios of the old days of Formula One where nobody gave a shit about safety. And uh, um, in my mind, I was like, come on, you got to do the cooler. Like if he was a college football coach who just won the game or something, but nothing really ever happened out of that. That would have been, that would have been pretty, that would have been pretty funny. I mean, I, I was, I was wondering when they had come back and they said, okay, we're going to think about it. And I, and then he, he was like momentarily after that, he went in for his pit stop. And so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, what are they going to do? And then they, he just carried along his merry way. Um, 
it's interesting that you say, yeah, for the for the safety reasons, because even you look at at the the race as a whole, um, and uh, safety wise, you can you can really beg the question of like how that that you have the drivers in that heat for that extended period of time from a health perspective too, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, like just to piggyback off of that, you had. Uh, I, and I don't know how many drivers went to the medical center, but there was several that ended up having to go to the medical center after the race because they were uh, obviously just physically exhausted. Yeah, I'm and sure it was like, really, really hot. And and they only have a carry. Yeah. I believe it's only like a, um like like 300 mLs of water or something small, and they probably plowed through that in the first 10 laps or something like that, and they were probably dry running to the end. Um, yep. so we were talking about track limits, right? So like I wrote down on my little paper here, like all the, the guys who ran track limits. So we have Albon, <laughs> Gasly, Stroll, Checo, Alonso. But I have to say when Checo did it a second time, you ever seen that movie airplane where everybody just slaps their head, you know, like all <laughs> collective at once. I thought yeah. to myself, every single Red Bull fan at home is doing this right now. Doing like, that right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, you would think you know the first time. So I just, I just, that stood out to me so bad. Um, and uh, it's it definitely a track. And, I, and like we talked about earlier at the very beginning uh, of this podcast that I, I'm sure I'm adding to a, a lot of time to, because I talk too much. Um, uh, essentially it's, it's the change of the layout and everything else. These guys were just adjusting to it. We haven't raced there since 2021. And then now the adjustments and the whole tire thing, I think it's just like a myriad of things that really lent itself to the the chaos that we saw. Yeah, and besides track limits, we also saw a penalty for Hülkenberg of lining up. I think he was lining up in Sainz's uh, grid spot, wasn't he? So he was one yeah. place or two places ahead, actually, of where he should have started. I yeah. thought that that was quite That's a, a failure on the team. What the hell? Yeah, I mean... They should be radioing good. and be like, hey, bro, remember, leave us yeah. space. You know, that that's their fault. And that's 10 seconds, too. That was a lot. Yeah, and it's it's it, well. I think the ten seconds are deserve uh, deserve penalty. I mean, you you're starting mm -hmm. ahead of where you should be starting, but you're right. I mean, you know that sign's not starting, so you know you're going to have an empty grid spot in front of you. I mean, how hard is it to keep that in mind? Um, very surprising to see that from somebody that I generally regard as a as an intelligent driver, um, Nico. So yeah, I think they just follow the car behind him because they're so worried about like the start. But it's the the team's job on the radio for me at least the, where they're like, hey. Nico, remember, man, we got to leave a spot for signs. That, that'd be the last thing coming up around the turn. And it'd be like, oh, yeah, you're right, or whatever. Just uh, for, for me, it, it's a communication thing. And, and they, they missed out big time just on that alone. Okay, so, so one of the things that really uh, changed the, or helped define the race, I think, and, and results in general was the fact that that tire, um, the maximum length of the of the tires was implemented and the fact that it was it was told that it was a mandatory three-stop race with a maximum of maximum of 18 laps per uh tire set so that dramatically changes your race strategically and also being told that you that with less than four hours before the race truly uh i would would shake things up so i found that really interesting from the strategic standpoint and when you're looking at teams that are trying to make the adjustments and are put in that position where it doesn't matter whether you're on hards or mediums uh, you're in a situation where you have 18 laps and <laughs> with three stops you have uh, drivers that basically have to go full out 
every lap was a qualifying lap. And then also you have situations where because you're in three stops, because it, it gets whittled down based on time, uh, are they going to be dumped out into high traffic areas now? Is that going to be a complication? We saw some teams experiencing that, such as McLaren with Lando in a few, exper- in few instances. So I, I really think that that helped shift the race quite considerably. Uh, and it was something that, uh, that we have never really seen. True, and because we're not really used to it, it was also even difficult to kind of follow who was where and who was fighting who for which position. Um, I don't know, it was quite chaotic with all the stops and um, all the stops and then all the penalties as well. And um, we mentioned the penalties just now, but because of all those penalties, the, the drivers that actually didn't cause any uh, track limit incidents were able to move up quite a bit so you had um, when you had both Alfa Romeos ended up uh, with a decent amount of points uh, which I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have had if, if, if Albon, Gasly, Stroll and Perez wouldn't have collected so many penalties that they had to serve uh, taking the pit stop so um, actually very good result for, for Alfa Romeo um, and um, quite yeah. pleasantly surprised because it, it's been a while since they've been taking that amount of points from a from a race so um um yeah it just kind of feels a little bit like an incidental uh result which um which is going to be difficult for for them to um uh, to score that many points again um in the last few races of the season but still i, I guess a very positive weekend for them yeah i feel like a lot of times these teams uh win win points or, or win out as a result of other other factors like how you mentioned monza and McLaren and Daniel Ricciardo years back, obviously the reason why they won is because uh, Hamilton and, and Max crashed and stuff like that. And this is kind of like that similar result where people benefit from other situations. And, uh, you know, all these track penalties, uh, uh, track limit penalties, and the three-stopper mandated uh, and no ability to really prepare for it and run sims uh, kind of made it, you know, anybody's game at this point. And I think that's why we're seeing the results that we saw. Um, you know, essentially just want to say thanks for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. I, I don't have a lot of friends who like Formula One, so it's kind of nice to talk to somebody who understands <laughs> deeply, you know, what the sport's about, you know. And uh, I, I love that my wife loves it and we talk uh, about it, but it's cool to talk to somebody outside. Um, uh, for me, I guess we were talking about introductions, stuff like that, and I guess I'd tell you a little bit more about myself. Um, I joined the Army at 18 when I graduated high school because I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And when I was on active duty in 2004, um, I had a Nissan 350Z and I thought I was the coolest guy in town. And I went to go <laughs> take my car to the SCC race, uh, SCCA races out there and do some autocross because I thought, you know, it was really, really cool. Well, when I was there, I met somebody, his name is Jose Gerardo. And to this day, he's like my mentor, one of my closest friends. And he's a big Formula One guy. And we actually, he had a uh, Formula car. He had a, a Formula 2000 oh, nice. and uh, we became really close friends. And, uh, you know, I got some old, old pictures, but this is me in 2004 racing the, the old school formula oh. um, out in, in Deming, New Mexico. And that was one of the things that we used to do. And then another thing that we used to do is I used to race carts in uh, Mexico. So oh, it was really, really cool. fun. I, I, I lived in El Paso, Texas, and I was stationed there. So I would spend like every weekend because I, I was alone. Uh, I just hang out with him all the time. So I got into racing uh, because of that. And then. 
um, in 2006, I went to Canada um, and I saw that race and that was spectacular for me. And then, uh, um, you know, I, I work in surgery. I'm a scrub tech in surgery, passing insurance to surgeons. And then I moved up to be a nurse. And right now I manage operating rooms. Um, but in essence, um, racing has always been a passion of mine. And whether it's like, the, you know, street cars or karting or, you know, Formula One stuff, I've always wanted to be a part of it. And um, I've been to Canada, uh, Austin, Miami. Uh, last year we did um, uh, spa. And then, uh, and then also uh, Zandvoort, which was spectacular. It was my 40th birthday last summer. So my buddy was like, hey, come on. I'm renting an RV. Just spent a couple weeks with me. And it was out of this world experience. Uh, so, but Formula One for me is really cool. It's a cerebral sport because there's so much involved. It's driver precision, team strategy, uh, engineering. There's so many things to talk about. It makes it so fascinating to me. And it's not like, you know, like other sports where, you know, uh, one guy does everything like basketball is great. I, I pay attention to the Miami heat back home where I live, but you know, essentially it's the, the basketball players and there's very few plays that are run and the coach has a lot to do with it, but it's not like there's 18 people who make sure that the car runs that is driven by another person. It's very uh, completely different in that aspect. And then there's strategy and, and uh, you're watching the race unfold and factors. And for me, I, I find it to be one of the coolest uh, things out there. And it's also the pinnacle of motorsports. Everybody drives a car, but nobody really knows about what it takes in Formula One. So for me, I, I find it absolutely fascinating. And uh, it's pretty cool to find a community and talk with people uh, about this subject. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And, and uh, the whole Formula One forecast has been a lot of fun for me simply because I get to ch you know check my smarts and, and participate in a fantasy type league you know, and, and, you know, for somebody who, you know, uh, pays attention to the sport, I'd never thought that I'd be like in the top 20, you know, out of all these people. And to find out that I was 12, <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, you know, number one in America, baby, you know, like, yeah. it's exciting, you know, and really fun. So I, I, I really thank you for the privilege of coming on here and talking with you guys. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I, I really think you guys are doing a great job uh, keeping the platform going and, and doing this podcast and growing the, the, the fan base amongst this uh, uh, project that I'm, I'm really, really happy to be a part of it. And I'm very thankful that you guys had me on. Thank you. No, it was, it was a big pleasure to have you on and to talk about, uh, about this weekend's race and a little bit about formula one in general and, and, and your view on it. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's very cool to, to hear your perspective uh, and also um, funny to uh, see that actually, I think a lot of uh, new fans in the U S are well, like, like I'm saying, are new fans, and you're actually already a, you're somebody who's been following the sport for a very long time. So, um, so that's cool, and um, yeah, I hope I hope the sport continues to grow, and you get more people around you in your area that are also going to be into it. And uh, I hope you get to take off that race in in Mexico in the future. That would be that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, because it actually takes place during Dia de los Muertos, which is another thing to see. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's why I kind of want to do it I'm like that because it would be spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. So very yeah. cool, Sam. Thank you so much. I appreciate everybody's insight, and uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm looking forward to like sharing it and see if I can get anybody else to listen because uh, I think this sport is definitely under, uh, I guess, it would be uh, underappreciated. That's what I'm looking for, and I, I would love for for more people to to enjoy it. Yeah, it's a it's a great sport uh, that we all truly love, and. And uh, you've made some really, really great points there. And and also, uh, just to piggyback off of what Anton said, it's been a pleasure to have you on, Jesse, and, and to hear your thoughts and perspectives. And 
and they are they're definitely ones that spark conversation which is which is enjoyable and that is that is a beauty of of having a community like this is is being able to have conversations like this about a sport that uh truly is is such a rarity for someone to have the ability to be a part of uh because there's such a high skill level involved like you mentioned so uh yeah it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on board Okay, Anton, so now that it's just you and I, uh, it is time to go over the score. So why don't we start off with how many people predicted this race weekend? We had 485 people playing the game. Very nice. And we had an average score of 54.7 points. So um, pretty low for a sprint weekend, I would say. But uh, then again, we had a couple of uh, surprise results. Um, you could say so that brings me to asking you how many people you think actually predicted the sprint podium correct with uh, with oscar on p1 for stopping p2 and norris p3 i'm gonna say one person that's right nice uh there was somebody from argentina who uh, oh who really predicted that yeah matias aranovic he had exactly that podium and he was the only one. Oh, very nice very nice. Well, I mean, yeah. that's a bold prediction, to be honest with you. I think that was pretty bold indeed. going into it. Yeah, I agree. And there were actually a decent amount of people who had a McLaren win, but not uh, not Piastri. Um, then we go to the race podium. How many people do you think got that right? I'm going to say 34. Two people. Two people <laughs> actually uh, correctly predicted that Piastri would finish ahead of Norris because I guess, okay. uh, yeah, the other way around, there was a lot of people who went with Verstappen, Norris, Piastri, but very few, so only two, who went with uh, Verstappen, Piastri, Norris. Uh, the two people who got that right were uh, Jordan Watt, who finished fourth, no, he finished fifth this weekend. He actually finished second in Japan, so he's been keeping a steady row of results. And um, the other person that got it right was the winner of this weekend, Arnos Krenowski from Czech Republic. He scored 80 points and yeah, obviously getting the podium right and um, and scoring, well, scoring a decent amount of points for getting people almost right. He scored a total of 14 points during the sprint race and 66 points during the actual race. Second this weekend was Julia Drecke from Germany. She scored 77 and a half points. She had Verstappen on P1, she had Russell on P4, Leclerc on P5, got the fastest lap Verstappen, scored a decent amount of points for other people being just out of position, had 20 points during the sprint and 57.5 points during the actual race. And then on P3 from Greece, we had Dimitris Bezas, who scored 77.1 points, with P1 Verstappen, P3 Norris, P5 Leclerc, getting the point for fastest lap getting a total of 15 points in the sprint and 62.1 points during the race. So that brings us to the overall standings um, where we still have Jesus Diaz from Uruguay on P1. He scored 61 points during this weekend, just as P2, Tobias Jolie from France also scored 61 points. So their point difference remains the same. 
uh, unchanged. But we no longer have Philip Hoayek on P3. He drops to P5. And we have a new P3 uh, coming all the way from P8. And that's Jordan Watt, who got the podium right and who finished P2 in Japan. Uh, so with that string of results, P2 in Japan, P5 this weekend, he takes it to P3. Um, there's a 27-point difference between P1 and P2 in the standings. There's a 16.3-point difference between P2 and P3. But there's only a gap of one and a half points that Jordan Watt has towards uh, P4, who's Friso Hofker. So, um, so still very exciting. And... Um, it's it's getting towards the final stages of the season. So uh, uh, even though we don't have much to play for uh, in the World Championship uh, for first place in Formula One, there is a lot to play for in the Forecast F1 uh, World Championship. Um, I think it's also interesting to look at our results of this weekend. So we already mentioned that Jesse is actually, I mentioned he's P12. He's P12 after this weekend. He was actually P11 before the start of this weekend. But uh, he scored 56.8 points. Um, he went with a podium of Verstappen, Norris, Hamilton. So, um, yeah, Verstappen was right. Norris obviously finished P3. And, uh, yeah, he got um, P213 this weekend. Uh, 12 sprint points and 44.8 points in the race. Sam, what podium did you go with? Um, I believe, to be honest with you, my memory is is not after this weekend. I don't even know what I went with. I, I know I went with Verstappen. Pretty sure I went with Russell and Norris. Uh, P one and P three. Yeah, that's right. But you you went with signs <laughs> oh, for P two. I went with signs. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> you did get uh, full points for having P Norris uh, on. Uh, sorry, for having Norris on P three in the sprint in the sprint race. We actually all three of us, Jesse, you and me, we all had Norris on P three in that sprint race. So that all got us uh, nice. maximum of of six points. But um, yeah, you you scored very um, very decently this weekend, Sam. You're you're P twenty. Out of everyone no playing. No way. Yes. Wow. So um, okay. you scored 16.8 points in the sprint and 53.3 points in the race, which gets you 70.1 points. And nice. yeah, 20th place. Okay. Good job. Probably my best result of the season so far. Yeah, I think I think it actually is. And it, and it brings you, uh, you were P103 after the Japanese Grand Prix. You're now P85. So it uh, brings oh, you to the top it 100. The... Nice. Nice. Well, hopefully I can maintain it. Unfortunately, you didn't beat me, though. Oh, that's where you <laughs> you had that setup, didn't you? I like, I like the setup. <laughs> kind of. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so what did you do? Let's hear it. It was hard not to walk into that one. Yeah, I finished. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't make it to the top 10. I, I, I was P11. Um, so I scored oh, 71.8 points. Yeah. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, still quite, quite deep. I went have, with a... I was going to say, didn't you have Perez in on your podium? Yeah, that didn't get me a, a whole lot of points. I, I indeed went with Verstappen, Perez, Norris, but, um, I had, um, I had a couple of other people in the correct place. So I had, um, I had Leclerc on the right place on P5, um, I scored the full points for signs in the sprint on P6. I, I collected a decent amount of points here and there. And um, um, 14 and a half points in the sprint, 57.3 in the race. 
And with that, I go from P76 to P59 in the standings. So, uh, so yeah, moving up. You're moving up. That's a good result. Very good result. So, well, the quiz is going to be just you guessing the amount of people that get things correct. Um, because unfortunately, Jesse had to, had to just uh, leave us. But um, let's see how close you can get to the right numbers. So um, I'm going to go over all the positions and you tell me how many people you think uh, got those positions correctly predicted. So there were 485 people playing and we start with P1 for stopping. I'm going to say 456. That's a very good guess, actually. It was 452. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, you're only four, four people away. So that's, that's, that's very impressive. Nice. It's a good start. Let's see if you can keep that up. We go to PS3 on P2. I'm going to say 15. Also not that bad because it's indeed low. It's even lower. It's, it's only six people who had him on P2. Wow. Okay, fair. Yeah, not a whole lot. So um, Norris on P3, how many people have that? We both had him there. Um, so, we did? Um, yeah. How I'm going to say 42. 120. No. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say what I guess. I was going to say, no, that's not what I said. But okay, that's a big difference. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of people, actually. Um, Russell, P4. 58. 22. Okay. So, a little bit off. Um, a little bit. Luckily, you don't have anybody to play against. It's just a no. free practice session. <laughs> right. We go to uh, to P5, which was uh, the only Ferrari who, who raced this race. Yes. Okay. I'm going to give a higher number here. I'm going to say 76. Okay. You're getting back to cl being close. Again, four away, just like P1. It was oh, 80 nice. people. Okay. Okay. Yeah. P6, Alonso. P6, Alonso. Let's go 68. The sound of it. Sounded very good. It was 16. <laughs> That's a big difference, and I am actually a little surprised. Yeah, it's not a lot of people, but I think uh, a lot of people are putting the Aston Martins now in the lower numbers, uh, or I'm saying the Aston Martins, but the Aston Martin. I'm mostly talking about Alonso there, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Ocon on P7. Go with 24. Six. Oh, again, a surprise yeah. to me. Yep, uh, I had the Ocon on, on P10 myself. Both us on P8. Okay, let's go. I'm going to say two people. You got very close, but nobody got that right. Really? Nobody got it correct. Okay. Yep. It's one of those surprise results, I guess. No, you know, I'm not, I'm not really surprised because I still gave a low number because it's... If you're going to put them there, I would, like in predictions, I would think it would probably be a safer bet to put on maybe P10. Anything above that would typically be risky because, again, like the, this was an unusual circumstance that gave Alfa Romeo the opportunity to capitalize on it. So not too surprised True. with that. So then what about Joe, the other Alfa Romeo, P9? Go with, I'm going to say one person. That was actually two people who got that one. Really? So okay. nobody got both us, but two people had Joe on P9. Interesting. Uh, I actually looked up who they were. Uh, that was Jason Samur and Musa Mamadou. They both had Joe on P9. 
So uh, both scored two points with that. P10, Perez. How many people put Perez on P10? What do you think? I'm going to say three people. There was still eight people who put him there. Really? Yeah. Hey? Really. I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually people who saw that coming. Yeah, apparently they did. And we finish off with fastest lap for stopping. Fastest lap for stopping. Let's go with 396 people. Nice. Pretty close. Six off. Oh. It was 402 people. Okay. There's always typically less people putting Verstappen on fastest lap than they are putting him on winning the race. So that's, yeah. that's, well, you got pretty close there. Uh, it was good. Well, I guess uh, we can say that you uh, won this weekend's quiz. All right. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can be proud of yourself. <laughs> so, uh, um, once in a while yeah. I win. So, once um, in a while. The competition, the competition yeah. was heavy though. I, I gotta say. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, another practice session for you in the pocket, and uh, maybe that helps. <laughs> Let's see who your opponent is uh, next time. Well, next time, it's going to be your birthday weekend. Uh, it's going to be Austin in two weeks. Are you looking forward to that? Another sprint week? Yeah, I'm definitely excited for Austin on the calendar. I always look forward to Kota and uh, also hopefully the return of Ricardo. So that'll be something. And also, and it will take place during the afternoon, which is a little bit of a change in time that we're accustomed to is for us on this side of the pond. Normally we're watching the race first thing in the morning. So uh, looking forward to that weekend, it is a little bittersweet because I know that it also means that we only have a few more races left for this year. Uh, but Anton, any thoughts when it comes to Austin, like what you're, what you're looking forward to? Well, I guess, I, I don't know, I kind of start to like the spring weekend format, so it's it's nice to have another one. I'm, I'm even surprised that they plan two after one another. But, um, but yeah, in general, uh, just looking forward to see to see a good weekend. And um, I, I like the Austin circuit. I, I mean, I like it. Uh, we were just talking about the, the Miami race earlier with Jesse. I, I kind of feel more warmth for the Austin track because um, I do like it a lot yeah. and um, it's going to be interesting to see a sprint race there uh, it's going to be interesting to see what it does it's a track that the drivers know a little bit better uh, compared to Qatar so um, so maybe, I don't know, uh, less surprises but I hope that we're going to see some surprises and uh, um, yeah, just, um, I don't know uh, I guess the pressure was already off the season I mean, the constructor title was already won by Red Bull um, we knew Max was going to win the title. That was inevitable. Um, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the other battles in the, in the constructor competi competition are going to turn out to be. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if, um, if Perez can get back to performing at the level that he wants to. And um, yeah, also going to be very interesting to see if McLaren can also do well on that track and, and be... Uh, close to the Red Bull because uh, all in all, I think this weekend they they weren't far off. Um, uh, even though Verstappen won the race, but uh, it wasn't by a uh, by a lot. So um, hoping to see McLaren clinch on and 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 get on the podium again, um, or or you know or another team. Uh, I mean, I think that's the story of this season. We've seen a lot of different teams 
be the second best car uh, during different weekends. So um, yeah, that's it's it's exciting to not know exactly what's going to happen. Um, let's see. Uh, hoping for an exciting weekend. Yeah, I agree. I think this weekend uh, coming up will definitely be exciting and to to see and and. Like I mentioned, with the with the record with the return of Ricardo, it'll be it'll also be something that uh, will give him more of an opportunity to try to uh, put put a little bit more time on the track, considering that you have the sprint and and yeah, I agree. No, it's going to be interesting to see him back on the track. I hope uh, I'm going to have a little bit less of a hangover next time for recording the podcast. That would also <laughs> help. No, looking forward to talk to you again about the race uh, after the weekend in uh, in Austin and uh, hope you guys are tuning in to listen to us. That's it. And we should also say, as we always do, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or we are typically on, well, I shouldn't say typically, but we are on all major podcasting platforms. So make sure to follow us where you do listen to us and also um, rate us if you can. That definitely helps. Hopefully you like enjoying. And if you've listened this far, because this, I think, is going to be our longest podcast, then I, I would hope that you rate us uh, at least decently because you, you've managed to listen to our voices for this long. <laughs> yeah, which is impressive by itself, I agree. Yeah, I would say so. 